And now, please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 10, and we'll read this genealogy together. Genesis chapter 10. Now, this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Ripheth, and Togarmah. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. And from these, the coastland peoples of the Gentiles were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. The sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havala, Sapta, Rema, and Saptaka. And the sons of Rema were Sheba and Dedan. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that time, he went to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kela. And reason between Nineveh and Kela, that is the principal city. Mizraim begot Ludim, Ananim, Lahabim, Naphtahim, Pathrasim, and Kaslahim, from whom came the Philistines and Kaphtarim. Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, the Jebusite, the Amorite, and the Girgashite, the Hivite, the Archite, and the Sinite, the Arvidite, the Zemarar, and the Zemarite, and the Hamathite. Afterward, the families of the Canaanites were dispersed. And the, border, and the border of the Canaanites was from Sidon as you go toward Gerar, as far as Geza, then as you go toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. These were the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, and in their nations. And children were born also to Shem, the father of all, the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. The sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. Arphaxad begot Selah, and Selah begot Eber. Then Eber, to Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan begot Olmadad, Sheleph, Hazar Maveth, Jera, Hadorim, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimanel, Sheba, Ophir, Havala, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan, and their dwelling place was from Misha as you go toward Sefer, the mountain of the east. These were the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, in their lands, according to their nations. These were the families of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations. And from these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. The 
thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open these words to our understanding that we may be edified in the word of God written as it is opened to our hearts by the Holy Spirit in the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We move ahead today in our reading and preaching of God's word from the book of Genesis, from the post-flood story and the end of chapter 8 and 9, all of 9, to chapter 10. 8 and 9 was an interesting narrative about Noah's sacrifice to the Lord after the flood, verses 20 and 21 of chapter 8. And then we saw the giving of a sign, which was a promise of the covenant. We read in 9.11, Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant. Verse 13, I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And we then saw the sad story of Noah's drunkenness and shameful modesty. And the shame of that was multiplied by his youngest son, Ham, who mocked his father to his brothers, Shem and Japheth, and thereby provoked a curse against Ham's youngest son, Canaan, who was the ancestor of the ancient enemies of Israel in the promised land, the Canaanites. Now, moving from this exciting narrative, we come to a genealogy, which we might be tempted to skip just to keep the action going. Let's get on to the Tower of Babel. How about it? But we are Christians reformed according to the Word of God. And as a reformed congregation, we are committed to preach the whole counsel of God. Acts 20, 27. Paul states, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction, even Genesis 10. So we won't skip it, but we will take a 20,000 feet up bird's eye view. Maybe we could say a jet plane view of the chapter, hoping not to get bogged down in all the names. But we will dig deep a couple places. And we'll consider the themes, one humanity under the one creator is dispersed. Second, salvation is rooted in time and space. And third, God's concern for all is focused upon an elect people who will bless all kinds of people. So first, One humanity under the one creator is dispersed. We see in verse number one, now this is the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and sons were born to them after the flood. That word genealogy is the fourth of ten what are called Toledo passages. The Hebrew word Toledo means genealogy, or history. This is the fourth of ten. We saw one and two, four, the history of the heavens and the earth. Five, one, the genealogy of Adam. And six, nine, the genealogy of Noah. 
These are verbal markers repeated by the inspired writer, and we pay attention to them because it helps pace us through the book and find our way through it. And we see this is an important one to show us that all those generations that follow in verses 2 through 32 are from one man, Noah, and his sons gave birth to sons born to them after the flood. This theme is that all humanity is under one creator and that that created humanity disperses. The sequence of Toledo passages in 2, 4, and then 5, 1, and 6, 9 provide continuity for us that takes us way back to the Garden of Eden where we see in 2.7, the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. All who descend from Adam and Eve share in the personal touch of God's creative work. All of us, saved and unsaved, are image bearers of God. David was a very fallen man. And yet he said in verses 13 and 14 of Psalm 139, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. And we see that he has formed my inward parts. He has been personally involved in the creation of every human being, even through the instrumentality of a man and a woman. So we have this personal, creative dignity, just like Adam was formed and fashioned. And so what this means is that we are one humanity under one creator, and we are accountable to the Lord who made us. If you want to turn with me to page 985, Acts 17, you see in 24 through 28, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And he has done this so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore we are the offspring of God, and we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in, the right, in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. This is our common humanity. We have one creator, one humanity, and here we learn one savior, the man who was appointed by God and who was vindicated in being raised from the dead and who will come one day to judge 
the living and the dead. There is therefore now under heaven given among men no other name by which we must be saved. It's Christ alone. Now if you are alive as a believer today, come and confess your praise of the Savior that you have all that you need for the salvation of your life. And if you do not know Christ, come today to believe on him, that you may escape the wrath to come. For the times of ignorance God overlooked, but he has appointed the day when he will judge the world by the man whom he has ordained. This genealogy, going back to Genesis chapter 10, speaks of different families, Shem, Japheth, and Ham. And let us always avoid covetousness and competition between races. We should not covet others. We should not be competing, saying that I am superior. Indeed, we say, as David Atkinson does in his commentary, all human beings, even of different national and cultural identities, which chapter 10 itself dramatizes, are of the same origin, have the same dignity, and belong in the same world. This undercuts all human divisiveness based on nationality, culture, and race. However good, however rich, national and cultural diversity can be, it should never be allowed to cloud the more fundamental fact that all human beings share the same nature, breathe the same air, live on the same earth, and owe their life to the same God." Unquote. Now look with me at three signs of dispersals we see in verse 5 and verse 18, and then in 32, words that speak of separation and scattering and uh, division, a separating of the races. And eminent theologians like uh, Alan Ross and John Gill, the Puritan commentator, are all in agreement that this dispersal happened after the events of chapter 11. See, chapter 11 is the famous story of the Tower of Babel where God dispersed the people and gave them these different languages. Now here we speak of the dispersal before it happened. And one of the possible reasons for putting it first is that Moses, inspired by God, wanted to follow immediately upon the flood narrative and establish the continuity between these uh, early human beings and then these who came out of Noah. He wanted a, a steady, strong, and definite line of heredity to reinforce that one blood theme. And then afterward, he showed how it happened in chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. And so this first group in chapter 10, verses 2 to 5, is the sons of J are the sons of Japheth. And these are described in verse 5 as the coastland peoples of the Gentiles who were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. Now, when you think of coastland peoples and you're an Israelite, basically you're thinking about the Mediterranean Sea. 
And so the coastland peoples are all peoples who are to the west and the north of Israel because that's where the Mediterranean Sea is in relationship to Israel. On the southern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, we will see uh, the, is Egypt, and that will come in a later part of the chapter. But to the north and the west, that's all the European peoples. It's all those peoples who came out of the European peoples and moved even into Asia, some of them. And this is the group that I was referring to yesterday who were going to be the sons of Japheth who came into the uh, tent of Shem when the conversions happened at the beginning of the church, and the vast majority of them from the Gentiles were from the west and the north. And so we see second the group, verses 6 to 20, the sons of Ham. See there in 6, the sons of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. It won't elaborate on Put, but we will look in this genealogy on Cush, Mizraim, and Canaan. And just before the end of the section, the end actually comes in verse 20 when it says, these were the sons of Ham according to their families, according to their language in their lands and in their nations. Just before that, in verse 18, we see this idea again of dispersal. The families of the Canaanites were dispersed. The Gentiles were separated into their lands. Verse 5, the emphasis of the genealogy is that God is working his purpose out to fill the earth and subdue it. They had a pretty go, good go at it right here. This takes us back to Genesis 1. Fill the earth and subdue it. Multiply, be fruitful. And it's happening before our eyes historically. Now, Derek Kidner writes concerning this section, verses 6 through 20, geographically, these are chiefly the nations from Canaan southwards. And so we think of Africa, but not simply the African races. We see the section traces the descendants of Cush as being related to African peoples. And there's Cush mentioned in verse 7. And that name, Cush, of a person became attached to a city in present-day Ethiopia. And also we see there Sheba in verse number seven, a well-known city in Africa related to the queen of Sheba. And Havilah and Dedan are in Arabia. In verses eight through 12, we have another descendant of Cush who strikes out independently and founded a kingdom on the far side of the fertile crescent of the Tigris and the Euphrates, these two rivers between them constituted a crescent of fertile ground. And beyond that, we see that this man named Nimrod establishes a city, many cities as a matter of fact. He was acknowledged as a warrior. In other words, there were those who then named themselves after Nimrod. I'm like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. He had such notoriety. And we see that he was fulfilling the mandate to fill the earth and subdue it. Perhaps that's why he was before the Lord, because he used his ability as a mighty hunter. And verse 8 might have been a mighty one, like a ruler. He uses his energy to go about that filling of the earth. And yet, on the other hand, we have to note 
on the downside of the ledger with regard to this man. We see that he uh, founded these places like Babel. Babel, verse 10, which would become Babylon, which was a symbol of decadent rebellion against God, the great enemy of Israel who carried away Judah to captivity. And it became a kingdom which portrayed worldly success and was destroyed in Revelation 18, where we will read in the Sunday School Hour, invite you to come at 9.30, some excellent lessons. And uh, we'll get there to Revelation 18, and Babylon fell. So you can start well and fall Come today, even if you're a man or a woman of prowess, of strength, of power, looked at in an earthly sense, don't trust in that. Rather, humble yourself before the Lord. And so we see that the other persons, like verses 13 and 14, are the offspring of Mizraim. Mizraim is the Israelite or the Hebrew name for Egypt. So this is where the great nation of Egypt came from, which is to the southwest of Israel. And now in verses 15 through 19, it becomes more specific about the ancient enemies of Israel. And they were associated with great wickedness. Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and so on and so forth. These, some of these same names are found at the end of Genesis 15. When uh, God describes to Abraham the land he is going in to possess, the land of these people. And we see that there is a sense in which they deserved everything they got in terms of being driven out of that land. They deserved it because their life was characterized by wicked sexual sin and deviance, as I shared last week. Leviticus 18.3. You shall not do according to the doings of the land of Canaan to which I'm bringing you. You shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. And so we understand instead, Deuteronomy 20, 17, you shall utterly destroy them. We come again to see that this uh, genealogy has a third major section, which begins at chapter 10, verse 21. And this describes the descendants of Shem, primarily with reference to Shem's great-grandson. If you look in 21 and then go down to 24, you're going to see the same name twice. And the children were born also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder. And then down at 24, it says, Arphaxed begot Selah, and Selah begot Eber. The reason Eber is mentioned in the very first sentence of this section, this third section of, of Japheth and then Ham and then Shem, is that Eber is the one who is the ancestor of Abraham. And it is put in pride of place because this is ultimately a story of God doing a crash land of revelation on one people group. He brings his gospel of grace to one people. Among all the multiplicity of these peoples, he chooses one of them 
in which he will reveal himself as the one, holy, unique God. And so that name Eber is highlighted in verse 21. And Eber is, in fact, the, the great-grandson. And so Shem is the great-grandfather of all the children of Eber. And Shem is also the brother of Japheth the elder. You had Shem, you had Japheth, and you had Ham. And so he's the brother of the oldest Japheth. And I highlight this name Eber because it's where we get the word Hebrews. Okay? Heber gives you Hebrews, which is the ancient name of God's people before they were constituted a nation before the Mount Sinai and before they got that name Israel, which came from Jacob because Jacob had that personal name, was changed to Israel because he wrestled with God. And then that name was passed on to the whole people of God because the 12 tribes came out of Jacob. And here we see that we again have the sons of Shem, 21 through 31. And it is so that from these, these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. We have a spread of people. And in significant fact, there are 70 names listed here in this chapter. And Jesus chose in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, to name send his disciples to uh, people first in chapter 9, but then in chapter 10, he sent 70 out. First, the 12 go to the Jews, and then the 70 go symbolically to the Gentiles. Actually, they didn't go all around the world. It's a symbolism. As we read, is a, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The scattering is these people groups waiting for the gospel to come to them. The gospel crash lands, if you will, with a great revelation to Abraham and is passed down through Israel and is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And now it is our call to bring the gospel even to Papua New Guinea, where our sister was talking about Luke and Marion and all the missionaries doing the work of evangelism around the world. This is our call. Now the second point is that salvation is rooted in time and space. When we compare the other genealogies that we find in this first part of the book, we think of chapter 5 of Genesis. And then we think of a set of genealogies in the New Testament, toward the beginning of the New Testament, chapter 1 of Matthew and chapter 3 of Luke. And we observe that all four of these genealogies, in 5 and 10 and 1 and 3 of, of Luke, the, his, the genealogies proceed great moves of salvation history. The historical account of Noah being rescued from the flood on an ark follows right on after Genesis chapter 5. The salvation history of Abraham and his family falls right on after this genealogy here in Genesis 10 
And you know in Matthew chapter 1, we have the genealogy of Jesus going back to Abraham. And Luke chapter 3 goes on back all the way to Adam. And of course, Matthew and Luke are filled with the good news of Jesus Christ. In Matthew, the emphasis is upon the kingly reign of Christ, that he is the king. And in Luke, that he is the savior of all kinds of people, the downtrodden, the women that are emphasized in that gospel, and the wonderful mission to the world, even as exemplified by the mission of the 70 that I just mentioned. And so this word of God needs to go out. We have learned in this book already about God. We've learned about God the Father, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who brought all things out of nothing. We have learned of the word of God as we read in Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. This is creation out of nothing. And that word is the, the very second person of the Trinity, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we have learned much of God in this preamble of the book of Genesis it is no less historical that I call it a preamble, but it's definitely set off from the great narrative from chapter 12 on of Abraham and all his patriarchal descendants. We've learned in this preamble of the Holy Spirit, which hovered over the face of the waters. He hovered over the face of the deep, and in his hovering, he transformed the face of the deep to become the face of the waters. Waters which according to the Hebrew word used are pregnant with the potential for life and filled with creative energy. A creation which broke forth there in six days as we saw in chapter one of Genesis. We worship and adore this living triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even here in the quietness of this sanctuary, in the dawn of this autumn season, in the beauty of holiness, in the presence of that God who is here today, right now, as his word is proclaimed, as the Spirit applies it to our hearts. We have encountered in this preamble individuals. We've seen in ourselves Adam and our rebellion. We've seen ourselves in Eve that we created in God's image, yet rebelled. And I call us to realize that we must come back in faith, even as Adam and Eve did. They rebelled, but Adam named his wife the mother of all the living. That's a statement of faith because he had been condemned to death, and yet he believed that God was going to fulfill the promise of Genesis 3.15 and give offspring to the woman. That there was faith there, we see in Eve's life, that she said, God has given me a man. Chapter, num chapter number four and verse one, that's faith. That we see what is coming out of her own body is a gift of God. And so faith continues in chapter four and verse 26 when we read, People began to call on the name of the Lord. When you call on the name of the Lord, that's the covenantal name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God who keeps his promises. So we have seen ourselves in these individuals. We've seen ourselves in Noah. We've seen ourselves in the necessity to take a step of faith. It's not just a head knowledge. 
It's an actually stepping on to the ark of salvation. And for many of us, we can have our own little trip with Jesus. But until you join a church, until you're part of a regular worshiping community, you are not actually committing yourself totally to what God wants to do in your life. Because the church is the place where God is working with leaders and the proclamation of the word and an organized effort to send the gospel out to that neighborhood, our neighborhood, and around the world. So I call you today to, to come to Christ, to come to Christ in the fellowship of his church. And we flee for safety to the ark of salvation. But we have seen ourselves in the lives of Adam and Eve and Noah. But now we see ourselves here in chapter 10 as part of this humanity. We are found somewhere in this genealogy. And I know not what your ancestry is, but I do know that I am there. And I don't know where from, but I want to say I'm part of this. And I am responsible as a Christian to reach this. I am responsible to be part of the answer of bringing the good news to the lost. And so that is why I live. That is why I proclaim the gospel. And that is what I call you to do as a Christian, to pray for and to reach out to all these descendants of this table of genealogy. And that brings me to my third and final point, which is God's concern for all is focused upon an elect people who will bless all. Note with me, if you take a look there in chapter 10, verse 1, the order of the names in verse 1. Shem and Ham and Japheth. But then you look at the rest of the chapters and you see the order is different. The order of the genealogy starts with Japheth in chapter 10, verses 2 through 5. And it continues with Ham in 6 through 20. And only then Japheth is brought to the scene. And this is the author's design, that he's going to sort of clear the decks. There's a big story coming. It's the story of God's revelation to Abraham. It's the story of God's revelation to the descendants of Eber, to the descendants of Shem. Shem, given the name then to all those people, the Semites. And then we have the Hebrews. And then we have Israel taking the name from Jacob. And then finally, we have the name Jews, which comes from the tribe of Judah. Here is the focus. And this will be the focus for the rest of Genesis. And indeed, for the rest of the Old Testament. And so I, I, I nail it home now. I'm wanting to emphasize this genealogy because I don't want us to get lost. I don't want us to get lost from the fact that there is in this genealogy our calling, that we are calling as an elect people to be a light to these Gentiles. God is clearing the deck genealogically. He deals with them, okay? These are the people. Now we're moving on to Shem and all his descendants, but it's always with the memory of Japheth and Ham. And indeed, it says in Isaiah 42, verse 6, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant 
to the people as a light to the Gentiles. That is our destiny, to be held by the hand of God and to be a light to the Gentiles. We, most of us, I would assume, are Gentiles. And we are the wild olive branches which are being grafted into the cultivated olive tree, which is Israel. Romans 13, verse 24. That we may share in the salvation which he grants to all who believe upon the promise of God fulfilled in the Messiah. We do not replace Israel as believers in Christ. We do not believe in a replacement theology. We rather, as the church, are grafted into Israel, and we together with them, believing Jews, are the fulfillment of old covenant promises. And so, if you're a believer here today, you are believing For a purpose. It isn't just your own life you're living for. You're living for the mission of the Savior who died for you. And so, in respect to the nation's inclusion, we respect them on the basis of being one blood. Yet at the same time, we cannot honor as legitimate their religious efforts to displace the true and living God in their hearts. It's precisely because we are all of one blood that we do not compete or covet one another, but we do give the gift of the gospel to all. So come with me in the coming months to discover this faith in the living God who revealed himself in space and time, in the warp and the woof of history to a man, Abraham, who through the grace of God believed in the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to him for righteousness. Believe in that Lord today for your salvation. Let us pray. Lord God, move in our hearts to be saved, and move in our hearts that we would serve you gladly, that we would bring the light of Christ to all peoples, we would be a light to the nations. We pray that we will respect one another without covetousness and without competition. And that serving you, we may know your grace in our own lives and the lives of all those around us. We pray in Jesus' name.